0: Hey, so we're in a series called Believers to Disciples it's about growing in your faith. I want to get right into it. It's about coming into spiritual maturity. And uh, for our purposes, we're really talking about believers as kind of young in the faith, immature, moving into discipleship, which is more mature in the faith. And um, I just want to read a couple of scriptures. I've got a lot of scriptures today, and I'm going to tie my shoe. Sorry, it's coming undone here. Uh, I don't want to trip. That'd be embarrassing. That'd be on uh, America's Funniest Home Videos. I don't want to do that. All right, Matthew 28. Can you guys hear me okay? I feel like I'm yelling a little bit for some reason. But uh, Matthew 28, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always to the ends of the earth. So here we see two things. Teach. That's a big part of it. Teach. That's what we're doing Sunday school. Teach. There's other ways we can... Mentoring. Teach. And then we obey. So there's, there's two sides of this discipleship thing. And so... How do we do this? How do we teach? Well, the, the Bible's clear that the church is a part of that. And uh, now Ephesians 4, this is our theme verse for this series. And now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, evangelists and the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility, and I just want to add that all those right there that I just read, those, are, those don't have to be uh, you know, on staff, pastors There's a many teachers in here, many evangelists in here, many prophets in here. There are many people that are operating in those gifts. And part of what those gifts are is to release others in the body of Christ to go do what they've been called to do. So, all right. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue. Everybody say this will continue. So that means it hadn't stopped. Okay, Until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge in God's Son. Have we done that yet? No. That we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now listen to this. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that sound like truth. Man, we are... Boy, that we're dealing with that right now. A lot of things that, man, that kind of sounds good. Okay, so part of that is being mature. So you go, oh, I'm not going to be tricked by that. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of His body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full in love There is a lot in that scripture right there. We'll have to spend some time on that as we we go. But here's the point. God wants us to grow up and be mature, right? So I've I've said this before. A few of you have laughed. We've got a lot of people that have to split the mustache to get the bottle in. We don't want that. We're going to be eating meat. Amen. I like meat. So... When you're, when you're mature, you're not easily pulled into the things of the world. You, don't, you, you see things in a different mindset, and, um, and we're not going to be tricked by lies. So and Here's 10 characteristics real quick. We'll spend time on this as sometime in September, but just for us to, to look at these. Number one, uh, passionately committed to Christ. Hit that button again. Every time you hit it, it'll hit it again. Right, there you go passionately committed to Christ. These are people that, this is what a disciple, mature, look, they're going to, first of all, they're actually going to be saved, right? Number two, extraordinary love for people. We're going to be known for our love for one another. We should be known. Number three, have a servant's heart. We should be serving one another. Every every one of us in here needs to be serving, serving in some capacity. Number four, submitted and led by the Holy Spirit. We, We hear His voice and we're led and we obey. Keep going. Governed by the authority of God's Word. You've you got to actually know God's Word, but you're going to be governed by that. That's the thing that, that leads you every day. Number six, lives whole. You know, gets, gets free from wounds, gets free from addiction, walks in, in health. Number seven, evangelistically bold. Okay, Not going to be afraid to share your faith. Number eight, engaged in biblical community. All right? So you, there's some things you just can't get on your own. You've got to have other people. Number nine, generous. Generous with your time, your treasure, and your talent. And number 10, you live on a mission. You have purpose. You seek first the kingdom of God, and and all those things will be added. So last week we talked about a biblical worldview. Only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. These are questions, um, you know, where did sin come from? Who's... Holy Spirit did Jesus live a sin, sinless life how do you make it to heaven the thing that we when they study this only 35 percent of pastors have a biblical worldview and that's a little scary so that's who's actually teaching biblical worldview that's not good so we took a quiz last week it wasn't a you know comprehensive but it uh, gave us a little insight and there were several in here that you can see that still you know didn't have a biblical worldview that's no problem we're just it's part with digging deep, deeper in God's word. I heard one parent say, you know, uh, man, I, I asked my son about the Holy Spirit and he couldn't answer who the Holy Spirit is. It's like, man, I, I thought we'd been teaching this and he, you know, he was a sixth or seventh grader. Uh, a few parents said, we read the Bible, but I don't know if my son or daughter could be able to uh, answer some of the questions that the world throws at them. So part of what we want to do is we're going to be creating in some, some tools for you to be able to begin to talk around the um, dinner table or wherever in the car and just ask some questions about worldview and also um, just, we're supposed to teach the commands of Christ. So what are the commands of Christ? So we're going to talk about that. So we've got a long way to go, but um, today I want to talk about another aspect of discipleship, um, and the spiritual process of discipleship, how does it actually work in us? And so we're going to look at the parable of the sower and the seed. And uh, it's in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew 13, Luke 8, Mark 4. And we're going to kind of go between all four of those. If you get got your Bible, you can open up to Matthew 13, Luke 8, Mark 4 if you want. Of course, it'll be on the screen there. All right. So I, I'm kind of all over the place with this, but they're all similar they all tell the same story but they kind of pull little pieces out of each one and each piece I want to I want to talk a little bit about. So and just to make you uh, not get worried, we're only covering two of the soils today. So <laughs> if 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 you're looking at noon and it's like man he's only got through two, you know, we're we you're okay. You're okay. Don't don't freak out. All right, when a cra- great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now we're going to keep reading, but this is in Matthew. His disciples came and asked him, Why do you use these parables when you talk to the people? And he replied, You're permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That's why I use these parables, for they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. Then Mark 4, 13, he says, do you understand this parable? Then how will you understand all the parables? So this parable is very, very important to all the parables, and it's a key that unlocks all the other parables. Now we keep, we're going back to Luke here. It explains what the parable is. Now this, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root, they believe for a while, and a time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. We want to all bear fruit. We all want to bear fruit, right? So real quick, I want to talk about parables. What is a parable? Why did Jesus speak in parables? And why is this one so important? So number one, a parable is just a simple story used to illustrate a more And the question is, why did he use parables? Well, he says this, To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. What is Jesus saying here? Parables were like a hidden code Jesus was using. Okay, He was revealing the mysteries of the kingdom of God in these parables. And those who were hungry for the truth would hear the spiritual truth And those who were not listening or hungry would just hear a story. Now now why was this important? It was actually a way to protect those from rejecting the truth. He was actually using it to reject. If they heard the truth and they didn't receive it, and or I'm sorry, and they weren't ready to receive it and they rejected it, they would be accountable for the truth they heard. And they may never come to salvation because they rejected it. But since they don't perceive the truth, all they hear is a story. Jesus was actually giving them more time and opportunities later down the road to hear the gospel. Isn't that amazing? So psychological research suggests that once our minds are made up on an important matter, changing them can be as difficult as stopping a train hurtling at a full speed, even when there's danger straight ahead. Your initial thought forms a groove in your head. So Jesus was protecting them from actually forming that, from actually coming out and rejecting it. They were like, I don't get what he's talking about. That sounds like a great story. Studies also show that humans make the vast majority of decisions, including professional, personal, political, and purchase decisions, based on information they receive from others. Yeah? Don't, when we, when we need a, a, some kind of answer for something, we go call 30 people, right? Like, help me understand what, what's going on. So, the, the identified bias in using the strength of others' opinion is likely to have a profound effect on human behavior. So, what Jesus was doing with these parables was instead of a large group of people didn't rejecting what he was saying, He was actually creating an opportunity for one person to have a personal experience, to hear the the truth, and nobody else could reject what he was saying because they wouldn't hear it. They wouldn't understand it. They're like, I don't know what's going on. But people personally would hear the truth and go, that's really good. That's really good. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And this idea of how we make decisions with how going along with people is why it's so tough to live in this world. We, if you're going to be a Christian in today's world, maybe not 50 years ago in today's world, you're going to have to go against the grain. I'm telling you, you're going to look foolish. You're going to look weird. You're going to look old-fashioned. We don't like being persecuted. We don't like being called names. We don't like being uninvited from the cool parties and the, and the fun stuff. We don't want to feel like we're living on the outside, but the truth is, if you're going to be a sold-out disciple, Matthew tells us, all the nations will hate you because you're my followers, but everyone who endures to the end will be saved. Man, that's tough to hear, isn't it? We're, we don't know, we don't really recognize that. that we can't even comprehend that in our, in our culture because for so many years, it's like, hey, you're a Christian, you know, that's a big, yeah, we're all Christians, right? It's not becoming that way. We got to shake it off. We got to get used to it. And you have to remember you have God's truth. You have salvation. You have eternal life. And you have the kingdom of God. And because you have been born again, you see things that other people can't see. And so instead of feeling, getting your feelings hurt, or they're not coming alongside with me, or they're rejecting me, you go, you know what? They just can't see. Man, that's horrible. I want them to see like I can see. So it's good stuff. So, okay. Why was this parable the key to others? Are you guys with me here? All right. That's a lot there. Because it's all about the power of a seed. You guys can see this really well, right? That's the point. It's all about the power of the seed. Everything in God's kingdom Everything in the spiritual world, actually, is about the power of the seed. They start small, just like this, and grows into something. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. But it's the seed of a thought that gets implanted in our minds. And um, with a seed, you don't really see what's happening underneath, do you? It's just like, okay, I don't know, anybody planted a garden, you, you like you watch, and 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 you think nothing's happening, and then all of a sudden, one day, it just pops up, and they're like, ah! I don't know about you parents, but have you ever had a child say something, and you're like, where did that come from? Sometimes it's like, good, oh, he does love Jesus, <laughs> thank you, Lord. And sometimes, let's be honest, it's tough stuff, it's like, I didn't raise you to think that way. Where did that come from? Started out as a little seed. You haven't seen it germinating inside their spirit, but they have been believing a lie. And all of a sudden, one day, it just pops out. So this is what God, Jesus, is saying. If you don't get this idea of the seed, you won't get anything else. Hebrews says the word of God is living and active. So the word of God is the seed in this story, and it's living and active. This isn't just knowledge that we're accumulating, but the seed right here of God's word is actually all the power of God being placed in your spirit. And as you read it, as you water it, and as you continue to cultivate it, there's going to be something. A mighty tree grows up. In this case, I think it's a sunflower seed. But... It's going to be a mighty tree that comes comes forth when you continue to water it. Jesus says it is the spirit who gives life the flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The words in the Bible right here, let me just tell you, this is not a dead book. This is spirit and life. There is supernatural power as you read the word of God. It goes down deep. And as you water it over and over, I promise you, it will produce good fruit in your life. Promise. And this is a rhetorical question, so please don't answer this. How many of you have read the Bible completely through cover to cover? If not, your faith could be based upon secondhand knowledge. What some pastor told you, what some teacher you heard on the radio told you. You know, they found it takes only 12. Minutes a day, and you can read the entire Bible through in a year. Look how many things that we spend 12 minutes on. 12 minutes a day. It's basically three chapters. I, I, I usually do two chapters of the Old Testament, one chapter of the New, a Psalm, and a Proverb. Sometimes I'll do a few more. I'll usually get through the New Testament twice and the Old Testament once. So you can do this, guys. But I'm just letting you know, You don't want to have a faith that's secondhand knowledge. You want the the Word of God to go down deep, the Word I've hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. You want to change your life, you change your thinking. How do you change your thinking? You devour this Word, and the seeds of God's Word over time will grow into something amazing. We've been working on our lawn next door, and it's been a long process, the lawn over here. And Sean, is he, where's Sean at? Where's, Sean? He's done an amazing amount of work over there. Then Wayne came over, helped, and, and then we were like, we still need some work done. So we hired a company uh, that that came out there, and and they're pouring uh, more sand on there, and they're raking it by hand. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of work. And I was asking him, I was like, about these uh, about the, I was like, what do we do about this crabgrass? I can't. I, just, I want thick grass. And Sean got a couple of areas. I mean, I was out of town. When I came back, I was like, whoa, this is not." Nice. He knows his stuff. And, and I said, how do we get rid of some of these other areas of crabgrass?" And he says, oh, that's really simple. You just get a really, really strong lawn, and it chokes out the weeds. So you can go and spot those things and pull them up, but the best thing is just get your lawn really, really, really good. Get it healthy, and the rest just... The, the chokes out the weeds. I was like, oh, that'll preach. <laughs> so some of you are dealing with your thought life. You're dealing with old habits and addictions. Would you consider just committing 12 days, 12 minutes a day, as I was to say, to read God's word? Let it change your life. So Jesus is saying, if you don't get this one parable, you're not going to understand the rest of them. And uh, so I want to dig into this parable, like I said, for those worried, I'm only doing two today, so um, all right, a farmer goes out to plant seed now, poor farmers back then would literally uh, they would just go out and scatter seed everywhere liberally now the the, the cleanup people are not going to like this, but they would just <laughs> they would just go out and and just all over the place, and it would fall in different places. I think this will work at some point. Uh, you'll be okay, right? The vacuum cleaner picked this up, and they would just go and scatter seed all over the place. This po- points to us something very, very important. We are called to sow the gospel liberally. We just throw it out everywhere. Let God worry about who and, well, I hope they receive this right. Maybe they're not ready to receive. We just throw it out liberally. And it's called the parable of the sower, but a better title, many say, would be the parable of the four soils because the seed and the sower, they don't change. The seed doesn't change. It's the four different types of soil that determine whether the seed is fruitful or not. Okay, so we got the four soils, some soil that falls on the path, some that fall on rocky soil, some that fall on soil that's overgrown with thorns, and then there's the good soil. And the seed that bears fruit only is the good soil. It It matures. The seed represents God's word. The sower can represent Jesus, or the sower can also represent those who go out and share the gospel And the soil represents the heart of a human. So let's go into these first two soils. All right, the first one I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, but it says, now this is the parable. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. When the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so they may not believe and be saved. Now, it's very clear in picture when it talks about birds, usually those have to do with the enemy. The enemy comes and literally snatches away the seed. Literally takes it away. And the Bible's clear here that person is not saved. These people's hearts are hard towards the gospel and God's word. They can't receive the truth. They can't receive the, the, the gospel, and the word has no impact on their lives. And so it's clear here they're not saved. They are hardened towards the truth. Now, one of the things we need to pray. When we have people who harden to the truth is God soften the soil of their heart. Soften the soil of the heart. And let me just give you a practical way to do this. The way that that, that hearts get hardened is usually through lies they've believed and through pain. And so one of the things you can do when you're dealing with someone who has a hard heart towards the gospel is you begin to just speak truth over and over. Man, you got a plan for your life. God has a plan for you, your life. Speak identity. God loves you. And I promise you, it will take time. But over time, they, that truth begins to break up that hard ground. So if you got somebody, you don't have to cram God's word down to them. You don't even have to quote God's word to them. You just speak the truth of God's word over their life. And I promise you, there's be something that will begin to, to stir. Keep speaking the truth. But we're going to spend most of the time on the second one. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word immediately, receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Now we're talking about discipleship in all this. So there's a point to this, and we're going to get to this. Apparently in Israel, is where there's about an inch of soil, and right underneath is rock. And when we go to Israel, hopefully we'll find that out. Do you know we're taking a trip to Israel? Yeah, okay, it's in my email. If you don't read my email, you don't find out what's going on. May of next year, we are taking a trip to Israel, 10-day trip to Israel. Go look at my email. Those who... Okay, I know who you are. Um But they receive the word with joy, they accept the word, but the gospel never takes fruit. They believe for a while, but when things get tough, they fall away. Now, the Greek definition of this word fall away is the word it is really means stumble. They stumble, and specifically they stumble, or the implication is they go back into their sin. So is Jesus saying here you can lose your salvation? All right, I'm not going to wait in that one today. So, um, but we shouldn't walk around worried about our salvation being lost. Um, our salvation is assured. John 10, 28 says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So this, I don't really think this is what Jesus is talking about because the seed never takes root. Let me ask you, if I plant this seed in the ground and it never takes root, does it ever produce life? No. It dies, and that's the end of it. What does the gospel do? It produces life. So what Jesus is saying here basically is this is referring to people who have made a head decision without a heart change. They've made a head decision without a heart change and this is really scary to be honest with you. Because there are a lot of people in the churches who have made a lot of head decisions, they've prayed the prayers but they've never given their heart to Christ. There's never actually been fruit or life that is produced out of their heart. They learn the right things to say, they learn how to act, but their hearts far from him. They even go to church, they give, but they aren't saved. Now, this is not my job. It's his job to, to judge those things, but it's the truth of God's Word. I wanted to read you a story that's kind of crazy. Uh, John and Charles Wesley founded the Methodist Church, uh, which looks nothing like it does today. There, it was a revivalist, really, denomination. Miracles, signs, and wonders. The Great Awakening was performed through these two brothers. or, or performed. The Great Awakening really happened through their preaching. But John Wesley went to Oxford Seminary in 1720, and he was ordained two years later. He formed a group called the Holy Club. Holy Club, I like it. This group was committed to living a disciplined Christian life, given serious to study of God's Word, the Bible prayer, fasting, charitable works. I'm going to spend time on John, not so much Charles, his brother, but um, in, in, in 1735, both John and Charles Wesley set sail as ordained pastors for missionary journey to America to minister to the American Indians in Georgia, but they failed miserably. No one got saved. No one came to Christ, and they returned to England with their tail between their legs as failures. And John Wesley wrote this, I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? On the boat, you see, they met the Moravians, who were some German missionaries. There was a terrible storm on the boat. And all the English people were screaming and crying out because they were afraid they were going to die. And they looked over at the Moravians And the Moravians were all gathered around in this boat. They were singing hymns with their family and their children, and they're like, Aren't you worried? He said, No, God's going to take care of us. And he noticed that, and and he began to seek them out. He began to have conversations with them and find out what was going on. Because John would actually write, He wasn't actually saved. Holy Club, President of the Holy Club, doing all the stuff, He wasn't actually saved. And in May 24th, 1738, in London, he wrote in his journal that now famous account of his conversion. He says, in the evening, this is, this is five years later, or three years later, in the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street, where one was reading Martin Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through the faith in Christ." I felt my heart strangely warmed. John immediately shared the good news with Charles, and Charles, his brother, wrote that towards ten, my brother went, was brought in triumph by a troop of our friends and declared, I finally believe. We sang the hymn with great joy and parted with prayer. Until their conversions, the Wesleys had what John described as a fair summer religion. They were both ordained. They both preached. They both taught, wrote, composed hymns, and even gave themselves to missionary work, all to no avail. They had not Christ, or rather Christ did not have them. They lived by good works, but not by faith. How does that happen? Of course, they went on to see thousands and thousands come to Christ after their conversion. But it should be a warning to many in the churches today, in our church, maybe you sitting here. Romans 10 says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. You see, you can confess with your mouth and not believe with your heart. People do it all the time. They say a prayer out of emotion. They say a prayer out of guilt. Well, if my wife, you know, if this is the only thing that's going to make her happy, I'll just say the prayer. Maybe it's a a, a student in their faith, early in their faith. Maybe they really want to change, but they never let the decision go from their head and from their mouth to their heart to really see a heart change. And unfortunately, these people... Never experience the life saving faith of Jesus Christ. They make an emotional decision, but they never allow the, f- the, the seed to take root. And it's really kind of the worst of both worlds if you think about it. They're striving to do all the things perfect, and yet they don't even have eternal life with that. Where do we see this in Scripture? Well, in multiple places. Matthew 7, 21 says, Not everyone who calls to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. How could this be? This is people who are actually, I think, in the churches and they're doing the prayers. They're saying the prayers. Lord, Lord, didn't we, we pray for that person? And we, we cast that out in that person? Jesus says, no. One day you're going to stand before me. We're going to stand before Jesus. Not some angel. We're going to stand before Jesus. And he's going to say, what did you do? And you're going to say, I did all the stuff. Didn't I go to church? Didn't I say the prayer? Didn't I give? I tried to live a moral life. And Jesus is going to say, I'm sorry. I never knew you. Whew. And the Bible's clear: these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. They have a different fate, which is everlasting punishment, and everlasting fire. Serious stuff, and it should sober us. Sorry, my voice is struggling. True repentance is not just saying a prayer. True repentance is you were headed one way and you completely turn the opposite and you begin to head the, the right direction in the way of God. You completely surrender your heart, everything to Jesus. Jesus. Being born again is a supernatural thing. Your desires change. Your heart changes. Your love changes. The Holy Spirit becomes to live inside you. Changes you from the inside. You're never the same. You want to live right. You want to be around God's people. You want to serve God. He speaks to you. You hunger for his word. It should sober us all. I want to read one more passage of Scripture that uh, lines up with this. In Acts, in the early church, there was a man named Simon who previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing the signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but he, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on the, on the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power so that, any one of you, or so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray that the, to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. For I see you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity." Here's a man that they were probably celebrating. He got baptized. Man, this guy's saved. What an amazing testimony. Dude, God delivered Adam, Adam some amazing stuff, and what was really going on in his heart? He wasn't saved. It's clear. I said, "What are you doing? The intent in your heart's not right. You don't have God in your heart. He believed he was baptized. Yet he didn't have a relationship with God. Students, you can't rely on your parents' faith to save you. You might be able to play the game for a while, but if your heart's not right with the Lord, it's not saving faith. I'm not the judge, I would never judge. That's between you and the Lord. But it was, it was interesting. I'm going to have um, the worship team come on up here as we close. It was interesting. I was a few months back. I uh, did a chap or a um, retreat with the LCA boys' retreat. I don't know, there's probably 80 students and Christian school. And I shared with them this truth of surrendering your life to Christ. And at the end of the service, I asked, them to raise their hand I said are you living off of your parents faith or have you really accepted and surrendered your life to Christ and I said how how many of you close your eyes how many of you in here would 30 to 40 percent of the students raise their hand and says I haven't really surrendered my life to Christ God wants to encounter us This isn't just some principles to live by. It's new birth into new spiritual life. He desires all to be saved and come to the knowledge of Christ. I'm going to stop here. Next week, um, we have a guest speaker um, scheduled a long time ago, Pastor Zane. He's one of our uh, spiritual elders, kind of an overseer, uh, kind of a spiritual grandpa for our church. And he's going to come and bring a word. But I'll, I'm going to go back in two weeks and we'll get to the second half of this parable. But I want to leave you with a couple of things. Number one, uh, parents, this isn't something to be afraid of, to walk in fear of. I believe there's an age of accountability for kiddos. We're not talking about a 10-year-old who's just trying to figure out, let me, we've, me and Sarah have had many conversations where we go, I don't know if there's a lot of spiritual thing going on in our kids, you know. And then all of a sudden, one day, like I said, the seed will pop up and we'll go, oh, okay, there it is. Okay, we're okay. Um, But that's not what we're talking about. Don't be fearful in that case. I'm talking about someone who's 18, 20 years old who's got the word of God poured into them. Have they they made that decision for Christ? But there's a couple things that I've been really wrestling with in all this. One is... The first thing is we need to pour God's word into those who make his decision for Christ as fast as possible. Um, God's word waters the seed and their decision sets an anchor in their spirit. And as I look at church around here, I see faces that have given their heart to the Lord and been baptized. And I also can see faces in my mind of those who were baptized and never Are not here with us today because they've fallen away. And I feel in some ways we've kind of let them down. Um, I really want to change this, but the rocky ground can be tilled up quickly if the word of God is deposited in people quickly. Um, We need mentors to help disciple others. I was thinking about what they also said is, is when you plant new seed of grass, what are you supposed to do Quickly water it, like water it, water it, water it, over water, over water, over water it. Why? Because at that little moment, that seed, it's all hanging in the balance, whether it gets germinated and begins to work or not. And water is the key. The Bible's clear. The water that we're talking about is the Word of God. And I believe that's one of the things that we've got to really see when people... Next week, we're baptizing some. I mean, we've got to get this thing going when as soon as someone gives their heart to the lord i believe that's the first thing we got to get them a disciple quick i mean i mean discipleship is a long term but i mean i'm talking about the basics of just pouring in god god's word and getting a a regular foundation in their life the second thing is i i I just i just would like us to stand up here as we close and i'm going to call if you're a prayer team to come forward Uh, We just need a few prayer team. Can we just bow our heads, close our eyes? There's nothing spiritual about this other than just kind of get you alone with the Lord. I'm not going to embarrass anybody today, but I, I just don't think I could leave here today without giving an opportunity for you to respond in this place. I believe there could be some in here who have made a head decision but not a heart change. You're kind of playing the game. Maybe you're a student. Maybe you're a husband or a wife. Maybe you want to do the right thing but you've never really... And you know, you know, you know. The Holy Spirit's knocking on your heart. You're feeling your heart pound. You know I haven't really surrendered my heart to Jesus. With heads bowed, eyes closed, I I just want to say a prayer, and I want us to all say it actually here in a second, but would you just give me, is there anybody in this room say, that's me, and you just give me a quick raise of hand, real quick. Anybody in this room? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Amen amen thank you Jesus so what I want us to do with heads bowed but I just want us to pray this prayer all of us together I'm going to say it and you repeat let's pray it together here we go Lord Jesus for too long I've kept you out of my life I know that I'm a sinner and that I cannot save myself No longer will I close the door when I hear you knocking. By faith, I gratefully receive your gift of salvation. I'm ready to trust you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to earth. I believe you are the son of God who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead on the third day. Thank you for bearing my sins and giving me the gift of eternal life. I believe your words are true and I surrender my heart to you, Lord Jesus. Amen Praise God Praise God Come on let's give Him praise And I just want to pray for all of us Just just keep our heads bowed for just a a few more moments here If you prayed that prayer What I would love for you to do Is when we dismiss in here Just to come up and Meet one of these prayer partners and just pray with them. Nobody's nobody's looking or paying attention. You just between you, I want you to connect with somebody and say, hey, I prayed that prayer and I meant it today. Maybe you didn't even raise your hand and you were afraid or whatever, but just just say, I prayed that prayer and I meant it today, Lord. I'm giving my life to you today. I would really encourage you to come up here and find somebody to pray with and just somebody to just to just to confess that to and say, I really made that prayer today. And so, Lord, I just pray for every person in this, in this room, Father. Every person, Holy Spirit. Lord, if there's anybody that's watching online, if there's anybody in this room with hard hearts, Father, soften the soul of their heart. Soften the soul of their heart, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, soften the soul of their heart, Father. And I just pray, God, right now, Father, there would be nobody on our watch, Lord, that would make a head decision and without a heart change, Father, Lord. I pray, Father, for these individuals who raised their hand. I pray, Lord, that that the seed would now go in strong, Father, and, Lord, it would germinate, Lord, and it would produce a mighty fruit for the kingdom of God. Lord, we ask that in the name of Jesus. lord we pray for a harvest of souls to come into the kingdom of god lord through this in this city father lord those who are christian in name but lord but maybe not really christian in their heart father Lord, set them free, Lord. Open their eyes to see the truth, God, we pray in the name of Jesus. And I just bless every person in this room, Father, Lord, even if they weren't even sure today, Lord, but Lord, I pray that you would just knock on the door of their heart, Lord, all this week, Father, knock on the door of their heart and say, hey, come on, let me in. I just wanna wanna be with you. I just wanna show you my love. That's what the Lord's saying. Hallelujah. We bless this church in the name of Jesus. Amen